You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Today we're reading Acts 17, Acts 17, 16 to 34, which is page 1113 in the Church Bibles. So I'll do my usual thing of counting to five in my head while you find that. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he, re- so he reasoned in the synagogue with both G- Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this blabber trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine, beings is, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Lovely to be with you today. Uh, as we start off, I wonder how should, this is the question we're going to be thinking about today, how should Christians engage with the world around us? How should Christians engage with the world around us? 
Well, there's two kind of different camps when you come to think about this. There's those who are called syncretists. Syncretists believe that Christians, we should be like everyone else around us. Our faith is largely a private one, something for Sunday. The rest of the time, we basically live like everyone else. So we watch the same things, we listen to the same things, we think about sex and money like everyone else, we go to the same places, we indulge in the same activities. On a Sunday, though, we come to church. Now, I've told this story before about being at a leaving do at one of Cathy's schools, and as uh, she was leaving, someone else was leaving called the Rev, the RE teacher. And within the course of the evening, it was quite clear that the Rev had one of the pottiest mouths I've ever uh, come to know. He was swearing, he was making crude comments, he was putting people down. And when Rev came to give his leaving speech, he said this. He said that he wanted to show that you could be a Christian and be just like everyone else. This ignores the Bible's teaching about being holy. When we become a Christian, we are set apart by God, we are filled with his spirit, and we are to live his ways. Jesus said himself, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If at your deepest desire you don't want to follow Jesus, then there's a good chance you're probably not a Christian. But on the other hand, we've got other people. We're going to call them separatists. They sound like someone from Star Wars, don't they? The separatists. Now, separatists believe that the world is so bad that Christians should separate themselves from the world and just live in communities by themselves. The idea is if we kind of just hold, in, hold each other tight enough and close our eyes, all the bad things will go away. Unfortunately, these guys ignore Jesus' teaching in John 17. Jesus says in John 17, his, his priestly prayer, My prayer is not that you, Father, take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus confirms that we are, to God, not to take them out of the world because we've been sent into the world. So we're not to separate from the world, but at the same time, Jesus says there, we are not of the world as well. So we are to be in the world, but not of the world at the same time. So that means that we shouldn't adopt the world's practices, its desires, its views. So that goes back to our question, okay? If we're not going to be syncretists and we're not going to be separatists, how do Christians engage with the world around us? Well, today, in today's passage, we see the gold standard for engaging with the world. We're going to see Paul go to the world. We're going to see Paul engage with the world and still be a witness for Jesus in the world. So that's where we're heading. Let me pray, and then we'll dig into the passage. Father God, we can't escape the world. We live in it. Father, we know it's difficult sometimes to live differently from those around us. Often, when people look at our lives, there's no difference. There can be a challenge. 
Father, we want to live wisely in this world. We want to be your witnesses in the places you've put us. So help us do that, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. So if you've not been here for a, for a bit, you're very welcome. We are going through the book of Acts. If you remember last week, it was like Paul getting chucked out place after place. Remember, he goes to certain places, Thessalonica, Berea. He starts talking about Jesus, and then he gets thrown out, causes riots and all sorts. There's a story uh, by John, about John Wesley, the famous Methodist preacher. One evening, a young man, a young evangelist, returned downcast from a day speaking about Jesus. John Wesley said to the young man, he said, Did you make anyone sad today? The young man said, no. Wesley asked him, did you make anyone mad today? And the young man said, no. He said, did you make anyone glad today? The young man said, no. So Wesley said to them, well, you should have stayed in bed then. (laughs) The point being, talking about Jesus will normally cause a reaction. Some people might become sad because we're pointing out the things that they hold dear are ultimately empty and worthless. People might come mad because they're convicted that they stand under God's just judgment. But hopefully people are going to be glad as they come to see Jesus as their one true saviour. The gospel always causes a reaction. Now, if you're making people sad or mad by your attitude and your conduct, then you need to ask for forgiveness. But one thing we can't apologize for is the gospel. The gospel is the power to salvation. But like anything powerful, it can hurt when it collides someone. So Paul made people mad in Thessalonica. A crowd wanted to get him. But he also made people glad because some people came to faith. And again, the same happens in Berea. People are getting mad. People are also getting glad. So he goes from Berea to Athens. Now, in that, in that ancient world, if Rome was the power capital, then Athens was the cultural capital. To help you, it's a bit like the Liverpool of its day, okay? <laughs> the great thinkers, Aristotle, Plato, and the Brazilian footballer Socrates, they all gave the place a reputation for discussing ideas. And this is where Paul finds himself. And this is our first point. Paul goes to the world. And as he goes to the world, I want you to notice what Paul sees and feels. And then also where Paul goes. So let's have a look at verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So Paul's there, and he's not kind of just sitting there going, oh, isn't this lovely? Oh, look at that. That's pretty. What a lovely sunshine. Look at the harbour. No, he's actively looking and seeing the idols in that place. It was thought that in Athens there was 30,000 registered gods. One person said it's more common to find a god than a person because the population was roughly 10,000. There were statues all over the place, statues in high places. So wherever you were in the city, you could always see an idol. Some of these idols were between 30 and 70 feet tall, and some were made just of pure gold. Idolatry was everywhere. 
Now, there's the story of the Western missionary. He went to India. He's going to India to convert uh, the people of India to Jesus. And one day he was invited into an Indian's home and he goes in and much to his horror, he sees in the middle of the, of the living space is a golden statue of Buddha. All the furniture is pointing to Buddha. You cannot get away from seeing Buddha. And the missionary became quite uncomfortable with all this. He wasn't, he wasn't happy with this situation. And he asked the Indian man, why is, why is Buddha such a central figure in your house? And he said, listen, and this was something that was truly convicting. He explained that the statue was the centerpiece of the home because Buddha was the center of this family's life. They worship Buddha, they love Buddha, all the furniture pointed to Buddha. The Indian man then asked the Western man, what does your furniture point to in your living space? And much to his embarrassment, he had to confess it pointed to the 60-inch TV. Now, the point is that we're not meant to get rid of our TVs, rather for us to acknowledge that sometimes it's harder to see the idols in our own lives, in our own communities, because we're so used to them. We get so used to materialism that we don't even consider whether we need that new car, that new computer, that new gadget. We're so used to gluttony that we pass it off as a healthy appetite. We're so used to and protective of family time that we say no to serving others. We're so used to climbing the corporate ladder that neglecting our families is acceptable because we're going to be providing good things for them in the long run. Are we able to see our own idols? Now, what is an idol? Al alluded to it before. An idol is a good thing that becomes a bad thing when we make it a God thing. Or to put it another way, an idol is anything we substitute God for. So God should be the great love of our life, but we love other things instead of God. God should receive our total loyalty, but we're more loyal to our feelings and friends than to God. God should direct what we do with our time, our talents and our treasures. But what we do is we swap the creator for created things and we let those direct us instead. God should receive all the glory but instead we give that glory to others. And when we worship other things over God, the Bible says time and time again that God becomes jealous. And that's the root word where we get Paul's distressed. So it tells us that Paul was distressed, which is similar to the same word as when the Bible says God becomes jealous. Now obviously jealousy can sometimes be seen as a negative emotion. So we think that God shouldn't be jealous. But actually, jealousy is the right emotion. Let me try and illustrate. Let's imagine uh, I'm, I'm outside and I see a lovely red Ferrari. Okay? It's a, it, the, 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 what's it called? The thing's down. You know, the person's driving it. It's sparkling. It's cool. It's amazing. I could think, I really want a red Ferrari. I love red Ferraris. I need one bad. I'm going to get it. Now, that would be me coveting, wouldn't it? And we know that's sinful because the 10th commandment is do not covet. However, you've got to use your imaginations here. Let's say the Ferrari was mine. Okay, I own the red Ferrari, but someone else is driving it. Now, I'd be jealous. 
Why? Because that Ferrari, that car is mine. It should be me that's driving the car, not anyone else, because that car belongs to me. Friends, we've been made by God to worship God. Because God is our holy creator and sustainer, because he's sovereign, because he's saviour, it's right that God gets all the glory and worship from us. When we give that worship to an idol, God gets jealous. And our passage tells us, just like God was jealous, Paul also has this feeling as he sees all these idols in the city. And as Christians, we need to have our eyes open to the idols we see around us, especially the ones that we are prone to worship. Let's have such a, a big view of God that in our own lives and the world around us, we do not accept these idols as trivial or tiny things. We remember that to rob God of worship is not a light matter. That we would be jealous for the glory of God in our own lives and the lives of those around us. And as we do, we would do what Paul did next. What did he do next? Look at verse 17. He went somewhere. So it says that Paul presents himself in two places, verse 17. He reasoned in a synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So it's no surprise, is it, that Paul ends up in a synagogue? That's been a pattern through the book of Acts. He goes to the synagogue. He reasons from Scripture, again, the Old Testament, showing how Jesus is the Christ and should be worshipped and followed. But what we're told here is every day, Paul goes to a place called the Marketplace. Now, for five years, I had a Saturday job in Birkenhead Market. Okay, I was a fishmonger. Used to work from half seven to half five at night, and I got £17. That was enough for five pints, something from the chippy and a taxi home. So I was very happy. That's not the marketplace that Paul, Paul goes to. This marketplace was the centre of business. It was the centre of art. It was the centre of ideas. But for the Jew, it was also an unclean place, a place that was not kosher. But you see, Paul goes to the marketplace because he knows that that's where there's going to be lots of people who need to hear about Jesus. Paul doesn't go to the marketplace and say, by the way, lads, uh, next Wednesday we've got something on in the local synagogue. See you there. Although sometimes that is helpful. I'm not dissing the thing that we're trying to promote. But often we have to go and be with the people to share Jesus. So I wonder, what are the marketplaces that you are called to go to? Well, let me, let me give you a few scenarios. Some might work, some might not work. Let's say you, someone called Billy and work. You're trying to get to know Billy really well. You maybe had a little chit-chat over a brew, but you really want to go for lunch. Every time you mention going for some lunch, Billy always brushes you off. This time he says, right, yeah, we'll go for lunch, but I want you to come to one of those fast food places with me. Now, I know for some here, your eyes light up and you go, that's amazing. 
okay, fast food, but I know other people are healthy, so you might want to swap the illustration for a vegan place, sushi, Greg the Baker's, whatever doesn't work for you, okay? And he says, I want you to come to this place with me, and you just don't, you just don't fancy it. You, you, you're not into that kind of food. Uh, you, you've had a bad experience before eating it, whatever it may be, and you just say, oh, Billy, I'm, I'm not up for it, no. But, Billy, next Saturday we've got a men's breakfast at church. Will you come to that? What's Billy going to say? He's going to say, nah, not for me. Sorry, mate, I had a bad experience at one of them. Or what about this? And sorry, sorry for stereotyping, ladies. You get invited to Kim's Arbon makeup evening. Kim is a mum from school. She's trying to make a bit of money from selling makeup. She's invited you to a couple of parties already, but you've genuinely had things on. This time, you're free. Your schedule's free. Uh, you know, there's other mums going, and you've heard that they are wild once they've had one or two Proseccos. You know you're going to have to try makeup on. You know it's going to be really expensive, but you think, you know what, I'm just going to go. And you go, and whilst you're there, one or two people having a, a Prosecco, you're, you may or may not, but you're definitely not drunk. And anyway, during the course of the evening, one of the mums just turns and says how she's struggling at the minute with her mum. She, her mum's really unwell. You mentioned that you're a Christian, that you'll, you're going to pray for a mum and her when you get home that evening, and then nothing else happens. A couple of days later, you see the mum in the playground, and you just happen to mention, oh, how's your mum doing? And that lady is just so overcome with you because you've remembered her mum that you said you'd pray for her, and before you know it, you've made an arrangement to meet for coffee in a couple of days' time. The point of these scenarios is to say sometimes we've got to put ourselves in places that we don't want to go. Now, that's not to say that we are to sin, to reach out to people, but it might be that we have to put ourselves outside our comfort zone. We have to be in the places where people are. We have to go to the marketplaces that exist today. So that might be the gym, it might be the pub, it might be U3A. It might be the slimming world, it might be the football pitch, the school PTA, the restaurant. And we should see these places as opportunities to get to know people and share the gospel with them. So where do you need to start going? Who do you need to start spending more time with? You see, we've got to be present with people if we're going to share the gospel with them. So Paul is provoked to do something by the idolatry he saw. He went to people so he could tell them about the one true God who we should all worship, the Lord Jesus. But how on earth did Paul do it? Well, that takes us to our second point, which is Paul engages with the world. You see, when Paul's in the marketplace, there's a couple of groups that are interested in what Paul's saying. The Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans, they believed that there were gods, but they weren't really part of this world. And that, the, the, that pleasure was the chief aim of men and women. The Stoics were pantheists. They believed that God was in everything. And that what happened to them was controlled by their own destiny. So Paul is invited to speak at the Areopagus, which is a bit like university campus where great minds discuss great ideas. And Paul wants to engage his audience straight away. 
And the way he does this, he tries to connect, he tries to build bridges between their lives and their world and the world of the gospel. That's what he's trying to do. So we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail. So if you've got a Bible, do open it. We're going to look at more detail, verse 22 onwards. So he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So how does Paul start off? Men of Athens. That's very similar to how Aristotle would start off when he was addressing the same crowd. So Paul's being gracious, okay, he's being respectful. Paul then affirms that they are spiritual people. In every way, you are very religious, showing that we don't have to hammer people from the very start. We should be trying to look for things which highlight something from common grace. So it might be that we notice that somebody really works hard, sees working hard as a good thing, or someone's really devoted to their family, and we want to affirm that as a good thing. We're always trying to look for those bridges that connect the world with Jesus. Now, there's a great book that was released last year, this one by Glenn Scrivener. It's called The Air We Breathe. And this book helpfully shows how the things that society holds dear like equality, like consent, science, enlightenment, compassion, freedom, all of those things that we, we value today, they all have their origin in what he calls the Jesus revolution. He makes the observation that people want kingdom values, but they don't want the king. But it's resources like this to help us find common starting points when we engage with people. So there's lots of bridges we can use to bring people to Christ. And we may even make people glad as we affirm the things they affirm. But it won't be long until we start making people mad or sad as we get to the gospel. Because we see, don't we, that Paul changes his tack and he starts to to say that they're ignorant. Paul is seen as an, an, an inscription to the unknown God. And as Al already alluded to, the story goes this, that a plague broke out in Athens and everybody was thinking, right, we've got to appease the gods. We've got to appease the gods. So this one fella lets his sheep go and roam. And if the sheep rests in an area of land that has no God, then the man would sacrifice the sheep and he'd build an altar and put the to an unknown God. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like everyone's trying to tick all the boxes. Now, we might call people, we might not call people ignorant, but when we engage with those around us, there's going to be things that we disagree with, we disagree about. Now, a syncretist would say, Christian, keep your views to a Sunday, fit in with everyone else, don't stir the pot, just adopt everyone else's views. A separatist would say, stay away from those people, have nothing to do with them, they're evil and bad. But in fact, what Paul's going to do, he's going to show us how we can engage in the world and still be witnesses for Jesus at the same time. And that takes us to our last point. But it's going to be quite a long one, so stick with me. 
So he wants, so he's already shown how there's continuity. They are religious people. But now he's going to show how there's discontinuity as he tells them more about Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and, everyone, and everything else. So Paul's point is this, that God is the creator of all things. God stands up and above every other of these false gods that you've made here. He also says that he doesn't live in a temple. So every god that they had, they had to make a little temple and they would sacrifice to this god. He says this god, he cannot be contained in any temple. Paul then tells them that you don't need to make sacrifices for this God. This God makes sacrifices for you. You see, the gods they worshipped were takers. They wanted stuff of the people. Where our God is a giver, Jesus provides. Jesus gives himself for the sake of others. Paul wants them to see that this Jesus is impressive compared to their silly, tiny gods. And this is what we're trying to do when we present the gospel to people. We're trying in loving and gracious and kind ways to show that the things that they're trusting in are ultimately empty and worthless. If I had a, a tub of bubble mixture, I could show you this now. I could put my stick in there, I'd lift it out I'd, and I'd blow it. And you'd see lovely bubbles. And often when we see these lovely bubbles, what do we want to do when we see them? We want to want to grab them, don't we? We want to grab them. And as soon as we grab them, we realize that they are empty, that there's nothing behind it. And that's what we're trying to do when we communicate with people. We're trying to show them gently, lovingly, truthfully that the gods, the false gods, the idols that they're looking to are empty and worthless. They are not impressive, but Jesus is. And this is what Paul does, and it's something I think we can all get a little bit better at. So verse 26, let's pick it up. He then says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so we could seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So what Paul's trying to do here is trying to show that Jesus is not just concerned with the Greeks. Jesus can't be restricted to a piece of land or a temple because Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is the one who's fixed the times and the places where we live. Jesus is the one who doesn't rule over a hill or a field. Jesus rules over all places and all nations. Now that's impressive. And unlike their gods, their false gods, Jesus doesn't remain distant. Jesus is near to those who seek him. And what's fascinating is the way that Paul tries to communicate this. He does it by bringing in their own poets. A poem that was meant to be about Zeus... Paul turns it into a truth about Jesus. He says, yeah, good point, bad God. 
And what he does as he starts to point it to Jesus, he's saying this is a great idea and it can only be fulfilled in Jesus, the one who comes near to us. And that's a lesson for us all. We should be actively thinking about things in culture that we can use as illustrations to help people see Jesus. Here's a very weak one, but I watched the latest Black Panther film, uh, a Marvel thing. It was on Disney the other week. I watched it. And just in there, there was a line, a throwaway line that just said, all Wakandans, if you don't know it, it's, just, it's a group of people, all where Black Panther comes from, all Wakandans live forever. Now, that's just a conversation starter about eternity, isn't it? All, do you believe that, that all people live forever? Boom, you've got a conversation about eternity. Or what about in a few months' time, the king's coronation? That's going to be a great opportunity to talk about the great king's coronation. We follow a king, don't we, who when we fail him, always forgives. But when we follow him, he never disappoints. You see, we've got movies, we've got songs, we've got news items. All of these we can use to engage people in conversations about Christ. And again, we can only do this if we are present with people. Because it's when we're present, we have opportunities to engage. Let's close it down. Verse 29. He goes on to say, Therefore, since we are God's, God's offspring... We should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. You see, Paul now, he wants them to see their inconsistencies. If we are God's offspring, like their poets have already said, how can we think it's possible to use created material to resemble God? It's not. Paul wants them to see that it's only Jesus who's unique, It's only Jesus who's one of a kind. There's no one else who comes close. And then you get the mic drop moment. I haven't got a mic to drop. I could drop the TV. No, it might break. Okay, but I've dropped the mic. Or Paul's dropped the mic. Verse 30, 31. He then says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now again, why is Paul at the Areopagus? Well, he's there for a good reason, and it's this. You'll know from Greek mythology that Ares is the god of war. That Pagos means stone or rock. So in Greek mythology, it said that the Areopagus was the place where the god of war was judged for war crimes. So this place where Paul is, is a historic place of justice. And what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen guys, you have got no power to judge. The one who's got all the power to judge is the one who's been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. Do you notice what Paul says about judgment there? He says, one, it's fixed, for he has set a day. Friends, there is a day coming when judgment will happen. Who's it going to happen? Well, it tells us, secondly, it's universal. When he will judge the world. And it's certain. Why? Because it comes from the guy who was risen from the dead. Friends, there is a day of judgment coming that we may need to make sure that we are right with God. 
that we have repented from our idols, that we are trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Okay, I know judgment isn't in vogue and it's not fashionable to talk about it, but I want you to know that it's fixed, that it's universal, and it's certain. And that should motivate us and it should influence us to tell others about this day. Jesus is not inviting people here to make a decision. Jesus is commanding people to repent and turn to him. Because, friends, what we have around us is we have walking corpses. Walking corpses everywhere we look. Because the day of judgment is coming. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't want to be flippant about it. But imagine that image next time you're out with someone that's a walking corpse. Let that motivate us to go out to people with the news of the gospel. May it motivate us to go out to listen to people and to be praying how we can share the gospel in relative ways. Because this is too important. A day of judgment is coming. Are we ready? Are we getting the people around us ready for this day? So in conclusion, you'll be glad to know. Paul's shown his audience in Athens that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all. That Jesus is sovereign over the nations. That Jesus is near to those who call for him. And that Jesus is the judge of all. Now how do the people react? Well, let's have a look at verse 32, 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Diocese and a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. So what happens? Some people get mad and they sneer at the thought of the resurrection. Some people get sad and ask to hear a little bit more. Some people are glad because they repent of idolatry and trust in Jesus. You see, talking about Jesus is always going to cause one of those three reactions. Our job is to be present with people wherever, that, wherever they may be. Presenting the gospel in ways that exposes the idols of people's hearts. Whilst pointing them to the one true saviour who we should all worship. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for how Paul engages with the world around him. Thank you that he is in the world but not of the world. Father, that he is... Doing two things, he's exposing the idols around, but he's also pointing them to the one true God. Help us to be able to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.